2: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader Lineup, Guy Adami, Brian Kelly, Jeff Mills, and Bono and Eisen. And tonight on Fast, banking on gains. Financial stocks leading the markets today after months of struggling to rebound off their lows. Jeff's got the one chart he is watching, which will tell us where the sector goes from here. Plus, it was all downward face and dog for shares of Lululemon today. We'll tell you what got investors so spooked. And later, it's been a wild week for the Triple Keys. And if you're trying to protect yourself, we'll tell you how you can manage your hedge. But we start off with some major whipsaw on Wall Street. The Dow falling as much as 600 points before turning around and briefly going positive, only to end the day down a half a percent. The S&P 500 also falling, but ending well off the day's lows while the Nasdaq led the losses. What a session, Guy, following yesterday's uh, big sell-off. What do you make of the action, Guy?
3: It's interesting, and I I appreciate... You know, Mel and I text before the show sometimes, and she asked if this was an old tie or a new tie. So it's actually a very old tie. I haven't worn it in a while. I pulled it out for this Friday show, Melms. And what do I make of this? Last night on the Fast Money Show, I mentioned that I'm looking for an open lower, spend the rest of the day rallying into a long weekend, and that would be a good sign. And we sort of got that. The late-day sell-off concerned me a little bit. But what I take some solace is, you know, we're going to talk about this. There's a rotation of the financials. And the facts that the VIX, you know, which spiked above 38, uh, closed lower on the day, still above 30. But I thought that was encouraging. So, yeah, I think you have something to think about for both sides of the equation, both bulls and bears, as we head into this long holiday weekend.
2: What I, what I thought was interesting about the session, BK, and maybe this is a little bit of a head scratcher, is that bonds were selling off throughout the session and remain lower. We got the yields going up to 0.72 percent on the 10-year. Um, and there really wasn't any wavering even when the markets turned around.
4: Yeah, you definitely still had the steepening of the yield curve. Uh, yields were going higher, but the difference was when we were up, you know, five or six percent higher on the S&P and the NASDAQ, the, the difference, the yield difference between the S&P 500 and the 10-year bond was much, much smaller. So there was room here for the market to actually rally. And the one interesting thing is Guy mentioned, and I think Bonowin brought it up in our midday call, that the VIX was actually down, mm-hmm. even though NASDAQ and S&P was down 3% today. That was a bit of a tell that, hey, wait a second, maybe this market's going to rally here and reverse. And I would say, you know, if you think about the jobs numbers today, which is really kind of the big news out there, there was a little something for everyone. Maybe things are decelerating a bit. That might have got the market selling off. But then I think people realize the worse the economy gets, the more the money printer gets revved up.
2: Given the relationship between the VIX and the markets, Bonowin hasn't exactly been, uh, shall we say, normal. And given today is Friday, and volatility usually goes down ahead of a weekend, I mean, was that a real, um, you know, signal to you that that things were going to change during the session?
1: Uh, uh, to an extent, yes. I mean, listen, I think um, heightened volatility is here to stay for the foreseeable future, definitely into the election season. Um, and we've been a bit topish, you know, and, and one thing to keep in mind and what I'm taking away from this is that volatility can work to the upside and to the downside. Typically, what we talk to talk to and refer to is about skew. And we think about puts. What we've been seeing is indiscriminate buying to the upside. And that's helped push volatility up as well. It's still optionality. And put call parity tells you that calls and puts of the same strike have the same implied volatility.
2: By the way, if you like all this options talk, we got a full show on this 530 tonight. So tune in for that. Uh, Jeff Mills, uh, I know we all were noting the strength in financials yesterday continued in today's session. Um, What do you make of that? Is that is that here to stay, you think?
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure, quite frankly, and I brought that chart along because we are at this interesting technical juncture where we've traded into this really narrow wedge. We're making these lower highs, but higher lows. And the question is, what direction do we break? And I think back to the end of April, where you had a steepening of the yield curve from the end of April through the beginning of June, and you saw banks outperform to the tune of about 20% over that period. You've seen the curve steepen again. You go back to August 4th, it's been choppy, but it's steepened from then until now. You've started to see banks outperform to the tune of maybe three or 4%. So the question is, what direction do we break out of that wedge? I'm skeptical that banks are going to be able to sustainably move higher. Because I think any trade that's predicated upon the long end of the curve rising, so the curve steepening, um, that's driven by an increase in inflation expectations should probably be faded at this point. I think a lot of these inflation expectations going up lately, driven by what the Fed's doing, the average inflation targeting, they've talked about what they want to do, but they haven't necessarily talked about how they're going to do it. They have the same tools in their toolkit that they've had over the past 10 years. They've undershot their inflation target consistently. So my guess is inflation expectations are probably going to come back down. The curve is not going to be able to continue to steepen. And banks are probably going to languish once more.
2: Note that this is a chart of the bank ETF, the KBE versus the XLF financials, which didn't perform quite as strongly. Um, Brian Kelly, what do you think is behind that sort of conundrum? Do you you think that wedge does resolve to the downside?
4: So, yeah, I mean, listen, if I, if I had a guess, and at this point, you know, it, it's a guess because the market will tell us what we want to do, but I do think we, we head lower. The, the banks have just traded awful through this whole thing. And I think a lot of what you have to worry about with the banks is kind of there's two aspects to interest rates. It's that inflation expectation, but then it's the default risk. And I think if you get an economy that is flatlining and there's still 8 9% unemployment, then you have to worry about what the bank's balance sheet is. And so, I mean, Guy will tell you that a bank's balance sheet, the assets, it's all filled with debentures. So you need to be worried about the fact that there's some default risk in there. And that's why I think banks probably resolve to the downside.
2: Uh, Guy?
4: I got to tell you something. That
3: Brian Kelly, I, I just... I love this group, by the way. You got B. Icebreaker, you got the general, you got Brian Kelly. He was throwing debenture stuff at me all day. He used it in the show. He's a genius. It's a genius, Mel. I can't, I don't know what a debenture is. I can't spell debenture. But what I'll say is this to push back a little bit. Uh, Banks, you know, banks aren't really the problem this time around. I don't think banks are going to scream higher, but a name like City, we're going to have Jeff Hart on in a second. A name like City, for example, is trading at 70% of tangible book. It's just too cheap. And I do think Citi is challenged. I do think the banks are challenged. But what I think is going to happen here, the banks are going to rally on a squishy tape. uh, And then you're going to see everything give up the ghost as we get into October. So I do think you're still in for a bit of a bank rally as we rotate out of some of these high flyers.
2: Yeah. And and Bono and banks have been on your shopping list uh, during this sort of uh, sell-off period.
3: Yeah,
1: they have. And if you really look at it, if you look at KBE or KRE versus the XLF, the XLF has outperformed quite significantly on a year-to-date basis, and, and a lot of that is because there's exposure there to investment management, investment service companies, and I think you pay a premium for that. So I'm focused on the large money-sitter banks. And if you looked at the last earnings report, right, they are, had the provisions for default risk. They also had exceedingly high fee generation and trading profitability. So I'm willing to pay up for that aspect of the business vis-a-vis your traditional net interest margin business.
2: Bonwin makes a lot of good arguments, Jeff Mills. Why are you so down on the banks?
0: Well, look, I think if you look at the provisions as they stand today, the question is, are they enough based on what ends up happening in reality? And to BK's point, thinking about unemployment, you you still have 4,000 people uh, on the sidelines in the labor market. You have another 5,000 categorized as temporary unemployed. So you do have this shadow unemployment going on. And even though the employment report was okay, I think you still see that permanent unemployment number continue to go up. So in in terms of the balance sheets and what ends up happening with the losses, I think that's something we still need to keep in mind. If I'm looking within banks, or even looking within financials. I think it's really tempting right now to look at a Wells Fargo down 50% for the year and start to bottom fish a little bit. I would still want to be with a J.P. Morgan sort of best in breed, really strong balance sheet. Or I've mentioned it before a number of times, but some of these companies like S&P Global that are in financials that aren't banks, yes, they're trading at a premium right now, but I think they probably will continue to do so for some time.
2: Let's take a deeper look into the banks. Wells Fargo is on the move after hours after news of Berkshire Hathaway cut its stake in the company to 3.3 percent from 6 percent previously. Um, let's bring in Jeff Hard, Piper Sandler analyst. Jeff, great to have you with us.
5: Good afternoon. good to be here.
2: Um, was that a good move on the part of, of Berkshire, the, the notion of cutting one stake in Wells Fargo here in half practically?
5: Uh, look, it, it, banks have performed better recently, and it's been kind of nice to see. But you've got to view it through the lens of they've been pretty lousy performers for a while. So it's a little bit of catching up. Uh, I think Wells Fargo, Charlie Scharf will get things right. They'll do the right things there, but it's just going to take a while for it to play out. So, I mean, as I look at banks, I kind of find myself looking at liking the universal banks, the Citigroups the J.P. Morgans, the Bank of Americas, even the Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. you know. We're at a time in banking right now where scale matters more than ever before, and these guys have it in spades. So I think when you're looking at banks, you're looking for guys with scale, like those guys have, and you're looking for revenues that are not as dependent on kind of your traditional spread uh, lending because the interest rate environment's tough and though it's gotten a little better, it's it's probably gonna be a long time before it gets a lot better. And there's not a lot of loan growth out there. So the more you can get some capital markets revenues and asset management revenues and custody fees and kind of you know non interest, you know, non interest spread related revenues, I think mm-hmm. that, that's the place you want to be looking at banks.
2: We've been debating banks here on the panel, Jeff, and, and basically it seems to come down to how you uh, view the, the economy in the future, whether or not you, you view employment, unemployment getting worse, whether or not people are going to be uh, you know, foreclosed on, et cetera. Do the banks have enough in terms of reserves right now? And, and under what scenario do you think those reserves are enough?
5: I I do think reserves have built it up. Not that we couldn't see some more in the next quarter or two, but I think once we get into next year, it's gonna be a matter of, of releasing the reserves. I mean we we've kind of seen them take their, their, their reserves up to a level that would suggest losses get, you know, close to, to half as bad as kind of they were in the Fed's super, you know, severely stressed. You know, scenario. And that, that seems reasonable to me because, I mean, the amount of stimulus we have out there is really helping a lot. A lot of the kind of regulatory forbearance is helping a lot. And we're in the unique position where the jobs numbers were really bad, don't get me wrong, but they're getting better fast. I mean, people, people can go back to jobs. The, the, the economy, the fundamental under-economy is pretty good. So I, mean, I think if the economy keeps improving, which I think it will, that's generally good news for the banks because they're kind of the lubricant that kind of keeps economy going on the financing side but when i look at banks in general it's still hard to overlook a a tough rate and tough loan growth environments i I still find myself you know looking at somebody like a jp morgan what i like about a jp morgan is if we go into a double-dip recession the things really get bad strong, gets stronger. JP Morgan is strong. They're going to come out of that winter. If the economy gets better and things get a lot rosier, they've got leverage to financial mark to financial, uh, to capital markets and things like that. So I think they're kind of well positioned to, to do well in almost any environment we come into. Jeff, the,
3: the argument I've made for a while is, you know, banks to me, it's not about uh, P ratios. To me, it's about price to tangible book. And you know, I think I've made the argument that I think J.P. Morgan deserves that premium valuation. But right now, as, as the market closes, we're looking at a city which tangible book last quarter was reported around $72. The stock is trading at $52. Um, I think it should trade at a discount, but it should, should it trade at that steep a discount to a name like J.P.M.
5: No, I don't think it should. I mean, kind of the, the overall thinking, right, is if you can earn something close to your cost of capital, you should trade it close to one times tangible. JP City may not be hitting it, but they're, they're a lot closer than that valuation discount would suggest. So I, I do like City here. But that, I think that the kind of difference, I was talking about JP Morgan, I think you buy it today, you kind of win either way. City's probably a better way to play the bullish sentiment if you think the economy is going to be better. Because one of the reasons they're kind of lagging the peers is they, they've got a much bigger credit card portfolio. You, know, you tend to see bigger losses here, and you tend to see them sooner. Uh, if those losses don't actually materialize because the economy kind of comes along better than we expect, I mean, this city's set up to, to be a winner there. But you got to have that kind of macro view and be willing to, to, to be patient here a little bit, relative to, to owning something like a JP Morgan.
2: Jeff, great to great to see you. Thank you, Jeff Hart, Piper Good to be Sandler. On. Jeff had mentioned credit card exposure. I think that's interesting. Just uh, about a couple weeks back or so, Capital One Financial CEO had made comments that they don't really have a good grasp on whether or not their borrowers are employed or, or unemployed. That that there are a lot of borrowers out there at varying degrees of unemployment, and so a lot of these cards are tightening their lending standards. Brian Kelly, I bet this caught your eye.
4: Yes, that's this is exactly the issue that you have with the banks with credit card companies is that you don't have a good idea of number one, what your lender looks like at this point, the one that you're lending to. And then number two, what the economy is going to do. Are they going to go back to work? Are we going to remain at an elevated level of unemployment? And if that's the case, something like a Capital One, which tends to be a little bit lower on the credit scale, is going to have a whole lot of problems. So until I see some kind of sign that we we haven't kind of
2: plateaued here i, I just i think it's you got to stay away from these All right, coming up investors souring on shares of lululemon today has the stock gotten too far ahead of itself is there more pain to come plus lulu wasn't the only name that didn't participate in today's rebound we'll break down some of the other areas that sat out the comeback and whether they are buying opportunities and as we had to break take a look at some of the stocks notching the biggest rebounds of the day much more fast money straight ahead Welcome back to Fast Money. City taking a breather on Lululemon today. Analysts there downgrading the retailer to a neutral, but raising the price target on the stock. So would you be Namasteing in this name, Brian Kelly? See what we did there? Namasteing.
4: Yeah. Very no, clever. That's, that's very very <laughs> clever. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I mean, this is this stock is, has done so well. As City has mentioned, um, that I, I'm not sure that I actually. Yeah, I agree with their call in that what they were saying is, listen, it could go a little bit higher, but we can't imagine it's going to go a heck of a lot higher. So we're downgrading it to neutral, which is a little weird, but upgrading the price or increasing the price target. So it's kind of a strange upgrade downgrade together. But the point I think what they're making is we've had a lot of upside. How much more is left? How much more do you want to squeeze out? And then when you look at what's kind of happened in the market, if we're getting kind of a rotation, which I don't know if we are, but maybe we're getting a rotation, then that this stock could suffer from that.
2: It was a very sort of introspective note, if you will, because the analyst basically said, I'm going to bump up the price target, but can I actually say to buy the stock, upgrade the stock to a buy, buy the stock at 400 with more upside from there? And, and they write, we just can't. Jeff Mills and that's sort of refreshing given how many analysts of of late have come out raising price target rate, raising ratings just because stocks are are running away from them.
0: Yeah it's, it's actually nice to see somebody throw their hands up in the air a little bit because it's so hard to peg what's going on but Lulu, along with a lot of other stocks, has been part of this greater fool trade at these current levels where people are buying it because they think they can just sell it at a higher price. And it doesn't mean it's a bad company. I I like Lulu. It was one of my final trades early in June. But I think when you get forward price to sales at nine times and you get forward earnings at 65 times, you at least have to take a pause. And in the note, I think they made a really good point in terms of trying to connect fundamentals to what's been going on with the price. And they talk about the mirror acquisition since that acquisition was announced. Lulu's added over $12 billion in market cap. Mirror is a company that's expected to earn $100 million in 2020. So for comparison, Peloton is going to earn $1.8 billion in 2020, and their market cap is $25 billion. So in no universe does the acquisition of Mirror equate to a $12 billion increase in market cap. So... In that environment, it just underscores what's going on fundamentally. It doesn't mean you can't invest and own the company for the long term. But at these levels, you have to be careful because you could experience the kind of volatility that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, this is the most highly valued specialty retailer since, even more so than the heyday of Victoria's Secret. And you remember all, I'm speaking to the right audience here, <laughs> when Victoria's Secret was super popular and everybody would look forward to getting the catalogs and watching the runway shows, right, Bonowin?
1: I knew that was coming to me. Um, Yeah, two times over. Two times over, in fact. So, yeah, we're talking about, you know, $50 billion market cap. um, And um, the general pointed out quite a few valuation metrics there that that are something to take into account here and really what it is it's about risk reward i don't know how much upside there really is and keep in mind this is a consumer facing brand we're talking about all of the threats to the consumer and yet we're saying at their price point they're going to continue to be able to have the type of sales and margins that they've had historically and i think it's tough i mean i i've got on yoga pants now but i don't know how much longer that whole phenomenon is going to last
2: All right, we've got some changes to the S&P 500 uh, coming in. Etsy, uh, Teradyne, and Catalan are being added to the S&P 500. So Etsy, Teradyne, and Catalan go into the S&P 500. We should expect to see a bump uh, as managers will have to buy this stock in order to uh, gain that exposure. Guy Dami, what do you uh, make of, of these additions?
3: Etsy is fan- it's a fascinating company. I mean, we Remember, we, we purchased a Guy Adami sock puppet on the Etsy many years ago, and I think it some, lives somewhere in CNBC and Englewood Cliffs. Lisa
2: Villalobos has it. You look at the it. stock
3: at House of the Wolf, yes. The stock traded up to 135. It's pulled back. You know, people will rank on this company in terms of valuation, but I've got to tell you something. The growth has been there. How long it lasts, I don't know, but out of the ones you just mentioned to me, Etsy is the one that sticks out for. And I never would have said this a couple years ago because so I didn't
2: understand it. I sort of understand it now. All right. By the way, h and Block, Cody and Coles come out of the S&P 500. But much more fast money straight ahead. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is Breaking news on Amazon Web Services. Let's get straight to Eamon Javers with the latest. Eamon.
6: Yeah, Melissa, that's right. A toughly worded statement now from Amazon Web Services. This responding to the Pentagon, which earlier today suggested that it favored Microsoft for this massive $10 billion Jedi contract on cloud computing. Amazon Web Services now uh, responding to that statement from the Pentagon, accusing the president of blatant cronyism here. Uh, the, the statement going on to say uh, that the president is making uh, sim- simply making the wrong decision, ultimately, Amazon suggesting that this is... Uh, <coughs> Uh, nothing more than an attempt to validate a flawed, biased, and politically corrupted decision. So uh, some very strong words from Amazon. There's an ongoing court battle about all this. It's clear that this is not going to be resolved today, uh, but this fight goes on, uh, and the rhetoric here, very heated between these two companies. Melissa, back it's over to you.
2: seems like it might not even be resolved by the election. I only bring that up because obviously there is some bad blood between President Trump and Jeff Bezos.
6: Yeah, that's right. I mean, Amazon has suggested that the reason the the president wants Microsoft to get this contract and not Amazon is because Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, which the president has said is biased against the president. So they're saying that this is political corruption of the highest order. This statement by Amazon that just came out moments ago is I mean, I've rarely seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very lengthy statement from a, one of the nation's biggest and most powerful companies lambasting the president of the United States as, as being part of a, a corrupt uh, effort here uh, to simply benefit himself personally. And it lists uh, example after example that Amazon feels is simply inappropriate by this administration. So some really tough language here. Yep,
2: Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. You bet. Coming up, we got your final trades. let's go around the horn. Brian Kelly. Oh, that's me.
4: So in this environment, I want to look through what could be a trough and I want to buy a Virgin Galactic space because that's a long-term play. What happens today doesn't matter. It's a long-term play. It's a put it in your drawer kind of thing, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Top drawer, let it, let it go. Uh, General
2: Mills.
0: Perhaps not surprisingly, I'm going to be a seller of KBE here. I do think from a valuation perspective, there's a catch-up trade to be had. I just don't think it's now, so I'd fade the recent outperformance.
2: Bono and Eisen.
0: I think there's a little
1: bit of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater here. You're seeing some weakness. If Apple gets down around that
3: $100 level, I'd be a buyer.
2: Guy Adami with his old tie.
3: You got got OA coming up. Then you got Frank Holland and TRB at 6 o'clock. Summer school, I mean... That's a a lineup, Melms. Just saying. Uh, I think Letter C can rally here. I don't think it's going to 72, but I do think it gets up to 60.
2: All right. That does it for us here on Fast Money. Have a great long weekend, but don't go anywhere. Options Action is coming up next.